Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hello, it's Karen Snyder from Kansas City, home of Taylor Swift's favorite team and Super Bowl champions, the Chiefs. Welcome to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, introduced today by Karen and her husband, Paul, uh, who says they are both huge pod fans and avid tennis players. So thank you, Karen, from one NFL fan to another. And also thank you for being a friend of the tennis podcast. We come to you, myself, David and Matt, with new tech this week. Uh, we we were supposed to start recording about an hour ago, but the, uh, the, the, the tech setup took uh, a little bit longer than anticipated. Um, but we had a fun week, uh, Matt and I, in Solihull last week, uh, choosing new tech, like kids in sweet shops and generally making all sorts of exciting plans for the very near future, David. Yes, we did. I mean, first of all, it was it was absolutely lovely having all three of you, and I include Billie Jean in that number, uh, up here in my humble abode, hanging out with my kids, uh, annoying one of my kids by beating him 6-0 in his favourite sports game, um, and then capping it off with an overhead kick, Matt. Um, but apart from... <laughs> that was forgiven, I'm, I'm happy to say. How, how are you, Matt? Have you been uh, practising your... FC24 or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, an overhead kick to make it 6-0 after 60 minutes just just didn't go down well. Um, still not quite sure how I managed to do an overhead kick, but I did. But then you beat me, David. You've been, you've been very humble there. Yes. Yeah, do, do, dear listener, do enjoy the fruits of uh, these most recent meetings because after bullying Matt, uh, David's 12-year-old, Matt will never be invited back up to Solly Hole. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, I hope we did enough planning because it, it's not going to be repeated. Um, we did uh, in between Matt doing that. We did uh, we did make some fun plans. We finalised our schedule of live shows for the year. Uh, we're going to be doing one a month for Friends of the Pod, and uh, February's one is is it still going to be February? Or is it going to be early March by then? We make it on February 29th, Catherine. It's on Thursday. Oh, okay. Right. So in any other year, it would be March the 1st. Well, we're in, in, 
in 75% of other years. You get what I'm saying. It's a leap year <laughs> and uh, we'll be recording our next live show for Friends of the Tennis Podcast on Thursday. Uh, and this week's, can I say the theme, David? You can indeed. Uh, the theme for this one is things we would change about tennis. Uh, and I promise it won't be just an hour-long rant about faff, but uh, I also promise <laughs> there will be a rant about faff in there somewhere. So uh, the next one, that's this Thursday, 29th of February at 8.30pm UK time. That's 9.30 uh, Central European time, 3.30 on the East Coast in the US, 12.30 on the West Coast in US. Pam, that one's for you. Uh, and 7.30am AEDT, whatever that stands for. Uh, so that's coming on Thursday. We've also got a second edition of Tennis Relived coming for friends. Uh, that'll be out in early March and it'll be focused on focusing on the extraordinary life and career of Ted Tinling, uh, a fashion designer and author, and yes, you heard this right, a spy, um, who played a very critical role in the early days of building the, the WTA. He designed dresses um, for many of the top players, including the dress that Billie Jean King wore for the 1973 Battle of the Sexes uh, and many, many other iconic dresses as well. We're going to be producing eight editions of Tennis Relived in total in 2024. Our plans for those are now set in stone. We had a lot of fun choosing them. Um, and friends will also, as I said, get a monthly live show on YouTube to be part of with us, um, an exclusive review show uh, after each and every Grand Slam tournament and access to Hannah's column, the second of which published a couple of weeks ago, featuring, uh, focusing on rather Daria Kazakina. It's, uh, it's a cracker, of course, uh, because it's Hannah and everything she does is brilliant. Uh, we've also now decided to record our podcast reviewing Breakpoint from Netflix and a load of other new tennis documentaries. It's going to be a kind of docu-special um, and uh, that's going to be in a special show for Friends of the Tennis Podcast recorded in early April. So if you're a friend, you get all of that and lots more as well. Access to the new Friends community space that we're getting very close to launching. That'll be up in just a few weeks time and prices start at £5 per month or £50 per year. Um, it's a bit more if you'd like a shout out or an intro, but you can become a friend at whatever level you like by going to tennis.supportingcast.fm, tennis.supportingcast.fm, or the link is in our notes, the show notes to this podcast. That's your admin, done and dusted. Billie Jean is just... Uh, settled down for a nap on the new um my new podcast studio incorporates a dog bed um which is it's a pretty niche design but i'm pretty happy with it uh feeling a bit anxious about my proximity to billy jean at the moment given what she rolled in in on the walk a short <laughs> short while ago but we'll we'll press on and see how we go <laughs> uh let's talk about some tennis and let's start in dubai where good draw jasmine paulini is now a wta 1000 champion she beat anna kalinskaya 4-6 7-5 7-5 a massive comeback win which is which is so fitting for jasmine paulini isn't it to win by far the biggest title of her career also 
on the run to the final. She beat Beatrice Adajmaya, Leila Fernandez, Maria Sakkari, and Serana Castillo. She got the slight um, slice of luck with a walkover from Elena Rabakina, who withdrew with illness ahead of their matchup. But you cannot argue with those names that she's beaten and the way that she has beaten them. David, how would you describe Jasmine Paolini now? Champion. That's how I'd describe her. I mean, look, she, she, you also forgot to mention that she got a six-love, six-love win over me because uh, she may be like an absolute fool for calling her a good draw. Can anybody remember when and why and against whom I referred to her as a good draw? Because I can't. It, it was on the eve of Wimbledon, wasn't it? I remember us being on the roof at Wimbledon and it was talking about some somebody, I think it might have been a comeback player, somebody needing a good draw. Like imagine if they got a good draw, like say dot, 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 <laughs> Jasmine Paolini. Is that right, Matt? I believe it was, we were looking for a potential good draw for Venus Williams. There oh. we go. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. I'm not just saying this to rag on you, David, although that is that is an added bonus. I I genuinely think her sort of rising trajectory, co- the, the beginning of it coincides exactly with you saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I deserve it. And uh, and she is she's a great watch and uh, and a uh, my, my, look, the, my only regret about this final is that I didn't get to see it live. And I'm afraid I am going to have a bit of a rant about the WTA YouTube highlights here because I went to watch those and in no way did they tell me the story of that final. And in no way did they do those players justice because they showed five minutes of highlights from a, a match of two and a half hours, which finished four six seven five seven five and which saw paulini down five three in the deciding set coming back winning all the remaining games to win it seven five and those highlights went from three five win a point six five match point so we missed all the and and that was just to hold serve the three five game. So we missed the break the two breaks of serve. We didn't see the the reasons in those highlights why the comeback happened. Look, it's also on me. I didn't watch the match live, but it really it's a shame that they couldn't do a better job at, at really presenting that match to to anybody who wants to go back and see how Paolini managed to 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 win that title. What I can tell you is that the couple of points that really showed off her her skill and her her ability revealed and I'd be very curious to to know what Matt's view of this is of her, of her backhand because she hit an, a couple of absolute screaming winners off the backhand down the line with with very little noticeable force being applied she, she they were just clean hits and and so those struck me and then watching just the the sheer joy on her face at the end was it was wonderful, actually. She's a great watch. She's she's yet another example of Italy producing excellent tennis players. And I was wrong, folks. She is not a good draw. She's a bloody nightmare. And she's a really, really good player. I think what you might be saying there, David, is that Jasmine Paolini this week has made a play for both the intensity list and the backhand list i was going to uh, she's she's at the very least on my intensity watch list she might even have muscled her way onto the intensity list she's i just love the way she wins she's she's a show isn't she she's 
um yeah she's she's a headline act in that way um matt matt doesn't like it so much when people try to push players uh to his attention <laughs> for the backhand list he's quite touchy about it being his own uh his own piece of work um thoughts matt mm. i mean this is the jasmine paolini apology episode but i'm i'm afraid I'm afraid she's nowhere near the backhand list. Um, <laughs> there's, there's another one to clip up for the future. I thought, I thought you were making a dodgy face when David was saying, what do you think of that backhand? You were thinking, <laughs> keep away from my list. <laughs> a lot of people have actually been trying to get Anna Kalinskaya on the backhand list. And personally, I would say she is closer. Like I, I do think her backhand stands out for me a little bit more. Um, I'll be honest, this match happened at pretty much the exact time that that Fulham were beating Man United at Old Trafford. And my attention was very much on the football for, for most of this match. But what I can tell you is that Kalinskaya Paulini was a very underrated, under-the-radar fourth round at the Australian Open just, just a few weeks ago. It was It was part of that wide open section of the draw where everyone was wondering who is going to come through. And Kalinskaya beat Paolini pretty handily in Melbourne in straight sets. And for the start of this final in Dubai, the same thing was happening again. Kalinskaya was setting a break up and, and really dominating. Um, but in, in sort of classic Paolini style, just as she did in the first round against Hadash Maya, when she, when she was a set and a breakdown, she dug in and, and fought through and, and managed to turn it around. And, Personally, I think it's it's the Paolini forehand, which has got a, quite a bit of pop on it, and, and and she likes to she likes to dictate with that shot if she can. Um, Kalinskaya got very very tight in in those final stages, serving for the match. It, it, it look it was it was two players on the court. Paolini was there. She was she was applying pressure, but honestly, Kalinskaya let that final slip. I would say in those in those final stages, I think that. My understanding of the WTA highlights is that it is sort of done on a sort of automated system and therefore you don't see sort of important points. You you tend to see good points. And I think that's the reason why there wasn't that much shown from the very latter stages of that match because the quality did sort of slightly dip at the end because Kalinskaya made some errors. But... Paulini was awesome and what a great story really the sort of late blooming I think she cracked the top top 100 five years ago for the first time she's now 28 she's at a career high ranking now of 14 in the world and you know she won some very big matches for Italy last year to get them to the Billie Jean King Cup final like she has been stepping up all the way and um yeah it was just uh just a really impressive run to the title and um getting over the line in that in that final in such such dramatic fashion although not quite as dramatic as as Fulham's win at Old Trafford I will just bring that up yet again I I knew he was gonna weave that into today's show I didn't know exactly how early on he was gonna weave it into today's show but but there you are Matt described himself as having had a cardiac event when uh, when Iwobi <laughs> scored the winner on Saturday. Not not when Jasmine Paulini came back from the brink to win the uh, win the Dubai title. Um, just on on the WTA YouTube highlights, uh, highlights. I I don't want to hammer them because I I realise the WTA, as I always say, um, when we kind of criticise them, like 
they would love to have more resource and a huge part of why they don't have more resource is the patriarchy. Um, so I do, I give, I, you know, I, I give them a lot of grace on that. However, I do believe that YouTube highlights need to be prioritized more highly in resource allocation. They are so important for young viewers and not even that young viewers. Like, yes, David, your son consumes pretty much everything on YouTube, just as most 12-year-olds and teenagers. But I'm talking under 30s, really, like mostly consume consume this kind of stuff on YouTube via highlights. It is so important for engaging young viewers and it is it's just not good enough what the WTA um are offering at the moment. Like I don't I don't really bother with WTA YouTube highlights and that's that's extremely poor. They just don't they they can sometimes actively mislead in terms of the story and the narrative of a match and I'm very rarely watching YouTube highlights because I want to see the best shots. Like if I want that I'll just watch a you know a compilation video of best ever Serena Williams points which are obviously offered to me every time I log into YouTube. Um, like uh, if I'm checking out YouTube highlights, it's because I want to know what happened in a match. I want to know where the pinch points were, et cetera. Um, and their current system, which I think is uh, AI based or certainly um, a, most of the human um, element has been removed from the process, just simply doesn't give you that. Um, and that's just not good enough. And I think it's a prime example of tennis shooting itself in the foot. Um, so if resource allocators are, are listening, I would I would just urge a reconsideration of how how critical that that is for for the WTA. And there's such a stark contrast, isn't there, in the WTA YouTube offering and the ATP ATP YouTube highlights are really good, and that matters. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and I, I definitely felt like there were a couple of the matches I had to watch on highlights on the ATP YouTube page, and you just got the feel for where it was won and lost, and how, and the feel of it all. And it's it is a skill in itself is is editing and cutting highlights. And and I'm sorry, AI isn't going to have that feel. Absolutely, um, Kalinskaya. What do we, I mean, obviously an incredible week from her. She beat Yelena Ostapenko, which is really annoying because it ruins the the really fun Yelena Ostapenko, Victoria Zarenka um, tango that they were doing in 2024. Uh, she also beat Coco Goff and Iga Swiatek, straight sets win over Iga Swiatek uh, in the course of the week. And, yet, and it's obviously a stunning, stunning week for her and backs up what she did in Australia, which I always think is so important when a when a player suddenly has a breakthrough run out of nowhere that they that they significantly back it up and just confirm for for any doubters and maybe for themselves that that it wasn't a freak result or a flash in the pan. And yet I I I feel like that was an opportunity missed to win a one thousand title. You know, it was it was on her racket. No, no, it really was, and actually. It's it's very hard not to analyse what Kalinskaya achieved this week without 
doing her down a little bit because I think in all three of the matches that she won there to to get to that final, I'm looking at her opponent and thinking, yeah, Yelena Ostapenko has got this amazing chance to just rip through Coco Goff and Iga Swiatek and win this title. I'm looking at Coco Goff and I'm thinking, you know, you've got a chance to set up this match against Iga Swiatek. And then once she gets to Swiatek, I'm thinking, oh, she's going to carry on the run that took her to the title last week, and she, you know, and 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 she could dominate this period. And that that does feel really unfair. To Anna Kalinskaya, who because this is not a one-off. This this is off the back of the Australian Open where she had that fantastic run. This is the first year that I have looked at her in a completely different light. She's never been a player that I thought was going to be a contender at this sort of level at all. And and she has shown a really compact game and a, and 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 some weapons as well, which I really didn't think she had. And uh, and and has produced. I don't really know where where the line is between where those players didn't produce, though. You know, because all three of them, on paper, should be beating Kalinskaya. Yeah, they're, they're players with greater weapons, aren't they? I agree, David, that Kalinskaya showed more um, more force and more weaponry, more artillery than I than I previously associated her with. This week, but she's still she's never going to outgun Coco Goff or Elena Ostapenko or Iga Shante. That's not the way she's she's going to beat them. She she broke them down. She forced them to malfunction. It was such a contrast with with Iga Shvantec, wasn't it? She Kalinskaya has this this just lovely smooth technique that looks like it could never really break down, but that she is going to be susceptible to being hit off the court somehow. And then you've got Iga Shvantec. Down the other end of the court, who's who who makes a living out of hitting players off the court, and you felt like that should have been easy for her. But she did say in her her post match press conference that she, I mean she was tired, wasn't she after the after the run through Doha? She said she was trying to inject extra power and pace onto the ball, and she just she just didn't have it, um, and. It, it was it was erratic, wasn't it? From Shuntek, she she was spraying the, the the forehand broke down most most considerably, I thought, and she just didn't she didn't quite have it in her to dig her heels in. I thought, yeah, and uh, I think it goes back to the conversation we had last week in terms of Iga Shuntek in in those sorts of matches is going to continue to be such a fascinating case study really because she does have the legs and the movement and the athleticism to fall back on that if her big hitting isn't isn't working and yet it seems like she rarely does that um and I think perhaps tiredness is maybe a factor here and understandably it's so many matches in such a short period that maybe she just ran out of gas and maybe actually going for your shots then is is easier than trying to extend the rallies. And that was certainly her approach. It it did start getting her back in the match. She was a double breakdown, saved some match points, managed to get it to just a single break. And I thought, you know, it felt like she could still win the match, but Kalinskaya showed some very impressive uh, composure there. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't peak Shviontek. She, she actually slammed a racket down at, at one stage and got a um, got a very rare code violation. All, all sort of signs, I suppose, that maybe there was a bit of mental fatigue. Um, but yeah, Kalinskaya, very 
Very sneaky good start to the year, I would say. Like, she, obviously, she lost to eventual finalist Jung Chin Wen in Australia as well. Like, you know, it wasn't a bad loss she took there. I think her other losses have been Pliskova, who's been in really good form, Azarenka, who's been in good form, and Kasatkina as well. So, like, you're having to be really good to beat Anna Kalinskaya at the moment. She is making um, making opponents work for it, and yeah, it, it was it, it was interesting. You know, you sort of I think one of the reasons the WTA certainly this was what Tamani Cariol put in his piece in the Guardian. One of the reasons they made this Middle East swing back to back one thousand events was to sort of try and ramp up the number of big matches. You know, in in this period between top players, and then sort of. In slightly true classic WTA fashion, you ended up with this Paulini Kalinskaya final that sort of no one was expecting, and yet again in true classic WTA fashion, it sort of really delivered and was and was really entertaining. And I think it, you know it sort of would have been a, a possible first round match that you wouldn't have glanced too much at. You'd have thought, oh, that that's a good match, but not much beyond that. And then when you actually watched it in the final it was like really competitive and and sort of back and forth and it just i think just shows the depth like there are there are so many players who are capable of taking these titles on any given week i suppose what do we think of these back to back middle east 1000s on the wta tour night i have to say it it passed me by a bit like i did know somewhere in my consciousness that the wta had changed their structure and there were going to be more 500s and 1,000s. But I hadn't quite processed what that would look like this year. There are going to be 10 WTA 1,000 events and and elevating, you know, they used to switch Doha and Dubai and alternate each year between which one of them is 1,000. They're now both 1,000s and they're flanked by 500s. You've got a 500 this week in San Diego and a 500 the week prior to Doha in, in Abu Dhabi. If it, it feels, I, I don't know, it feels like a lot to me. It feels like I, 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 there's there's a sort of zero sum amount of caring and and stakes. You can't artificially create stakes, right? You can't have a Grand Slam tournament every week of the year, or else a Grand Slam wouldn't wouldn't mean what it what it means. Now I know there are other periods of the calendar where you've had long standing back to back. 1000 events Madrid and Rome Cincinnati and um and Canada but I don't know maybe it'll just take some getting used to it felt like a bit much to me yeah personally I didn't love it I think um I think one of the things about the back to back masters 1000 events at other times in the year is that they're you know they're building to slams really aren't they I suppose Indian Wells and Miami less so but they're just such big events they can sort of stand alone but you know Cincinnati and Canada build up to the US Open and Roma Madrid build up to Roland Garros and and this is kind of like well what's it what's it building to and I think exactly as you said premium events are premium because there's not that many of them and I just think it felt like a little bit too much to me um and I think we saw that honestly with with the players and with some of the performances, like it was a bit of a strange week. Um, you know, Rebecca has played a lot of tennis, sort of not a one, not that much of a surprise that she ended up sort of feeling it and, and, and falling ill. Um, yeah, look, I, it, it wasn't my favorite change, to be honest. I, I, I don't think you need, um, 
to 1000 events in February. You know, we've just had the Australian Open and it's, you know, it's it, it, it's a period with so many tournaments that I can see why maybe they wanted to to elevate some of them. But for me, it it didn't quite work. I think personally, I preferred it when it was two 500s building up to one 1000 event in, in February for the WTA. It's, em- it's emphasized also by the fact that the crowds are not that great in the, you know, in, especially in the day session matches in this part of the calendar. And therefore, it doesn't feel all that premium either. You know, you've got sort of empty stadiums. Um, it just doesn't feel like the other 1000 events do. And to have that back to back, it sort of made it hard to think that they were both, you know, both as big as Indian Wells in a couple of weeks. It just didn't feel like that. And and, and I think feeling is, is sort of a, you know, it's very important. It's, it's, it's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good point. So the WTA this week are in San Diego. That's a 500. Jessica Bagula making her return to the tour there. And there's also a 250 event in Austin, uh, which has Sloane Stevens, Daniel Collins, Angelina Kalinina is the top seed there. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Moving on to the ATP events from the week just gone, starting in Rio, where there was a a 500 event. Um, Spare a thought for Rio. I mean, 
it kind of all ended up okay. And they had the incredible breakthrough of uh, local guy, Jao Fonseca, which I think made up for so much. And I'm so pleased that they did have that because my goodness me, it was a rough start to the week. It rained pretty much solidly for about the first four days of this tournament. And they lost uh, Carlos Alcaraz uh, in the third game of his first match against Thiago Montero with an ankle sprain. It was... It was a horrific opening to this tournament, wasn't it, David? Yeah, and 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 actually, th- this week in general felt a bit like that. It felt like it was a bit after the Lord Mayor's show because, and I think a lot of that is because a lot of p- players are fatigued and people are breaking down. Obviously, Alcaraz getting injured in the second game or third game—that's just bad luck. Um, but. You know, you've just touched on all the, all the players like Rabakina having to pull out, Svantec running out of gas. You know, and and it was a bit like that in South America as well. You're asking a lot of these players to go back to back to back. Now, I suppose they don't have to all play them, um, but but it did make it feel as though, yeah, it was two one too many uh, in a row, and um, and I am relieved that Fonseca had the run that he had because. He was a surprise to me. I, 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 when, when I told you two about him, you reminded me where we've where we've heard of him from. What, what was the junior event that he did so well at? He won the U.S. Open Juniors last year. Right, and and you see, I I turned on his first match, first round match, uh, because he was facing Artifice. And I was looking forward to watching this young, big-hitting, physical player just loving the clay and knocking an opponent off the court and starting the run that I keep saying that he's going to have. And and it very much happened. It's just that it was the other bloke who did it all. Um, and uh, and Fonseca was absolutely awesome. I mean, he he won that match six love six four. Uh, and I mean. Feast could not make an impact on him at all, um, and partly partly that's because Feast was absolutely terrible, and and he just kept on missing rally balls. He clearly had no confidence at all. But Fonseca's just got a a liquid arm, a, 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 an elasticity to the way he hits the ball, and and it, it did make me. It's a very easy comparison and parallel to make because he's Brazilian and because the crowd loved him and because he clearly loved the crowd it's very easy to make a comparison to Gustavo Curtin but actually watching them hit the ball and unload with this rather spindly frame but then suddenly producing this knockout power quite similar and uh, and he, he definitely gave me feel good vibes even though my guy was getting a trouncing he he was feel good vibes, wasn't he? He's for, he he grew up ten minutes away from the club where the uh, the Rio Open is held. Um, I think the he's the first player born in two thousand and six to win a match on the ATP tour, which I think might make even Matt feel old. <laughs> Um, and uh, I also read that he he's been the beneficiary of uh, an AT, the ATP a system that the ATP have. Um, it, it's called some sort of accelerator next gen accelerator program where 
really promising juniors that achieve a certain level of junior results are kind of given a leg up into the challenger tour to accelerate their development um, in the pros. And he's been playing challenger tennis all year via that scheme and got a wild card as the local boy into this tournament and just lit the place up, reaching the quarterfinals, backed it up by beating Christian Green, didn't he? Which, look, I know Christian Green wasn't, isn't the player he was when he was a, a middling South American having a run during a pandemic, but you know he's a he's a he's a hardened pro, isn't he? Um, I I thought Fonseca would come unstuck against Green. I thought he'd just be too solid for him, and I was so impressed. Why are we laughing at me? Well, I was going to say, hang on. No, Christian Green was the guy who was who was most screwed over by the pandemic, wasn't he? Like leading the race or something? Yeah, that's what I mean. And he, had his, he had his best. <laughs> he had his best results in early yeah, twenty twenty, didn't he? Yeah, it was, it was just before COVID struck. The, they actually the, um, the thing no one talks about with COVID. What what they, would Christian Green have done? I did not. They came up with a. They came up with a makeshift ranking system mm. didn't they to try and over. to try and sustain the rankings through covid when those tennis is happening but i think there was also a sub aim of the ranking system which was let's make sure christian green doesn't qualify for the atp finals <laughs> yeah it was, it was harsh poor christian um but yeah it's it Interesting, you make the Gustavo Quirton comparison, and you know certainly the it was incredible the way, you know the support that he was receiving. It was like a Davis Cup tie out there for for his matches, and I mean personally, what you said there about just incredible power from quite a small frame made me think of Yannick Sinner in in, in terms of that element. Like some of the shots I woke up to. Uh, the highlights of you know just the ball just pinging off his off off his strings this whiplash power um it's just very exciting i think when when someone can hit the ball that hard and yet sort of still have control over it i just think that will that will always be fun to watch um he's obviously kitted out in the in the uh Igor Svantec, uh on clothing which is you know s- s- seems like a good thing to do if you if you want to have results on clay um so Look, I think he's now got a wild card into Santiago as well, so we, we'll, we'll get to watch him again this week. He, he looked like an Igor Svantec impersonator, didn't he? It was, it, it, I mean, I know you know kits do gen, most kits are worn by more than one player, but because the I can't think of any other female players that wear the on running kit. Obviously, um, Ben Shelton most notably mm. wears the men's version, but he does, he never wears sort of the male version of Igor Svantec's kit. It was really like, oh, it's it's Igor Svantec in the body of a 17-year-old boy. Um, <laughs> well, that was the reaction I had anyway. Um, so, yeah, Jao Fonseca, remember the name. Uh, he uh, he's, he's one to watch for sure, but he didn't win the tournament. Uh, we should probably talk about uh, Sebastian Baez. He beat... Mariano, help me out here. I'm going to go Navone. Yeah, yeah, that's what my that's what my commentator was saying. Great. He beat Mariano Navone six two six one in the final. Um, I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna need more help with old Mariano here. Someone tell me something about him. 
he's the bloke who beat Fonseca. <laughs> That's the bit of it I knew. <laughs> uh, he did not come up trumps in that final, though. I mean, he looked he looked pretty nervous early on. I mean, he he got his first game on the board when he was four love down, and he did the full sort of you know come with me crowd sort of signal. Uh, and I thought, okay, here we go. Um, and then, and then he then he didn't really win another game for about half an hour. Um, <laughs> I was I was I have to be honest. I was paying more attention to the other guy, Sebastian Byers, down the other end of the court because I feel like I've been watching him ever since he he should have beaten Alexander Zverev at the French Open two years ago. It's felt like he has such a perfect game for clay that I mean I know a lot of players do, but he just looks like. He'd be a nightmare to play on clay. Like he, he could play every day of his life on that surface and still come back for more. Hence why I put him in my predictions to win the tournament two weeks ago, and he did it two weeks late. Um, but uh, but anyway, I'll try to forgive him for that. Uh, can't can't provide that much intel on on the opponent, though. I'm afraid. Yeah, he. I mean, he's he's also Argentinian. Navone. There was this there was this day in in Rio where I think it was a, a, a sort of series of Brazil Argentina matchups, and Argentina won the lot. I think all of the Brazilian players just just went out kind of on the same day. And I mean, looking at his record, he he made a big burst at the end of last season on the Challenger Tour after the U.S. Open, reached a bunch of finals. Um, I watched him play Cameron Norrie in the in the semi-finals here, and poor Cameron Norrie was. I mean, I felt like he needed to retire. Like he he was just really struggling in the conditions. He just looked really ill, um, and Navone was just far too far too sort of good for him really on that day. Um, but yeah, Baez, obviously Argentinian as well. And he has this habit, Baez, of picking up titles. Like, remember, I mean, last year he won Kitzbühel and Winston-Salem back to back and went into the US Open on this what incredible winning streak. <laughs> and I think made it to the third round. And I think we were talking about his match against Medvedev. We were like, is Medvedev in trouble here? Like, Baez is on like a 12-match winning streak or something. Um, and, you know, he's lost to... Medvedev at the US Open last year. He lost to Sinner at the Australian Open this year. So it's taking it's taking really good players to beat him. And yeah, he's got a really good technique, I always think, on on the forehand players. He can create such power. Um and uh, you know, especially on clay. And yeah, it's his his biggest title so far, winning at winning at five hundred level for the first time. And yeah, he's just maintaining that habit of of picking up titles which is not to be sniffed at because they're good players who don't win titles and and he's won quite a handful now yeah very true um it was worrying wasn't it seeing carlos alcaraz go over on his ankle uh in his match against tiago montero um looked potentially quite bad at the time uh did come out with a statement uh the next day though reassuring everybody saying it's just a strain uh, a sprain rather and he will be back for Indian Wells and I hope I hope that's not him you know being over eager and pushing it I hope I mean I you know desperately want him to be fit for Indian Wells but just only play if you're fit Carlos I know you're ravenous but just it's okay um the ATP was also in Doha this week. The title was won by Karen Hashinov, um, beat Jakob Mensik in the final, 7-6, 6-4. And much like Jao Fonseca, 
in Rio, it does feel, to me at least, David, like Mensik was the story of Doha this week. Yeah, it, I, I was thinking, you know, it's it's another example of a, of a player that doesn't tend to get the headlines, arguably even if he wins the tournament, because Karen Hatchinov, I, I think... I'd love to, I don't know how you'd ever do a review of it but I think he could be the player above all other that reaches the seeding that he has of of every draw. He never lets you down. He he doesn't often sort of go beyond that but 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 he he'll, he'll, he was second seed here, got to the final. Okay, the top seed didn't win. So 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 Hashinov won. But but you're right. I come out of this tournament remembering Jakob Mensik who I think I first really took attention, paid attention to at the US Open. And um, since then, there have been a number of times when he's been in draws. And you, and he, if you walk past a, a match that he's on on the grounds of a tournament or a, a qualifying, he really grabs your attention. He's tall. He's got a huge game. He's He seems fearless. He just puts his game on you. And this week was a proper breakout week. I mean, this guy has got something that is going to hurt a lot of players, uh, at least at first glance. And and he's backed it up, you know, to get it's not just a single victory, he's gone all the way to the final. And um and I'm really I'm really pleased to see somebody with clearly some raw raw materials produce some results early on to 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 back that up. Yeah, and He's another one who used the new ATP scheme to even get into this tournament, I believe, because of his age and because of his ranking. He was entitled to enter one ATP 250 event this year, and he, and he chose to do that really early um, with with Doha, and he's totally you know delivered on it. But that being said, he had a tough draw. I mean, we watched him come through an absolute grueling epic against Andy Murray. Uh, Mario will have a lot of regrets about a, a miss volley on top of the net in the in the first set tie break. Um, but Mensik, you know, dug in and, and, and managed to win that one that went the distance. And then I was just really impressed that he that he backed it up against Andre Rublev in the next round. Like that's a it's a very impressive win from someone so young. I, I felt like Rublev would just have too much pace, but Mensik despite having a big game himself, actually absorbed Rublev's pace really well. Um, and he beat Monfils in in another pretty grueling match. By that point, I felt like he was really starting to get a little bit tired. Um, and then in the final, yeah, I mean, it's it's classic Karen Hatchinov as a kind of as a kind of gatekeeper, really. I mean, he's beaten two young players there in Popperin and Mensik back to back. And he won the first set on the tiebreak in both. And in both, it was a 14-12 tiebreak, you know, sort of epic first set that Hatchinov won and then managed to come through the second set just a bit just a bit more easily. Like, remember when when Yannick Sinner beat Hatchinov so convincingly at Australian Open this year, it was a it was an it was a sign of Yannick Sinner having gone up another level, you know. And I just think Hatchinov is is very much that guy. You know, you've he is he's not going to lose matches that he shouldn't lose very often um and it, and it takes a heck of a performance to beat him um but mensik mensik showed a lot uh, he's qualified for two straight slams now reached the final of a of an atp event and like there's a there's a really interesting crop of Czech young male players for the first time in ages now with lehechka and mahach and mensik so you know it'd be interesting to see if they can sort of 
try and follow in the footsteps of, of the WTA Czech players who've obviously been, you know, there've been so many of them and they've been so successful for so long. But it's, it's interesting that, that it's now happening to the men a little bit more. Yep, Jakub Mensik, remember the name and uh, congratulations to Karen Hashanov who won the title. The ATP was also in Los Cabos this week and the title, or should I say titles, were won by Jordan Thompson, the singles and the doubles. And he played the singles final, the doubles final and the doubles semi-final all on the same day. Um uh, I, I mean, the, the, uh, I, I tried to find a way that we could lead with Jordan Thompson in in this in this podcast, but with the with WTA Dubai being a, a one thousand, it just didn't it didn't feel right. But my goodness me, Jordan Thompson, David, what uh, unreal, unreal what he pulled off this week. Yeah, I, I I watched a lot of him actually over the course uh, of the week, and I mean, you know, to to put it into perspective, his quarterfinal, he was love six, one four, fifteen forty down against Alex Mickelson, you know, and he went and won that, and then he he played against Zverev in the the, the semifinals, a match that was three hours forty minutes, um, and he eventually won that as well um, in a final set tiebreak. And it's, it's tough to beat Zverev in those long matches. And then he beats Kasparud in the singles final. And, I mean, there, there were a couple of funny moments in post-match interviews where the, where the interviewer was like, and now the doubles! <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it was like early hours of the morning. And and he just he just goes, after the semi-final against Zverev, and he, this was said to him, he just goes, brutal. And... Um, and I, I then looked on the the sort of live scoreboard because this, you know, the doubles matches were not getting shown on TV, on live TV, even on tennis TV, which I thought was, yeah, it's it's poor that. I mean, I think that's what happens at two fifties, um, and or at least some of them. And and I looked at the live scoring, and he he just wasn't appearing. And I thought, oh, he's he's just bagged it, which you know is totally understandable if he if he, if he has. Oh no, <laughs> he just came out and he played all of the matches on the final day instead, and he won both titles. And great scene, see, you know, that's his first title. It's it's massive, and and he he's one of those players that has been around for years, and he's had some good wins, and he's had some good years, but they've they've never really been much different to one another. And then suddenly, here he is, just elevating his level and and going and winning this and it was it was it was a great great achievement and by the way a wonderful i thought a wonderful trophy that they have that they lift for the singles champion there multicolored I, i'm not sure exactly what whether there's a meaning particularly behind the trophy but it's absolutely beautiful i would say one of the nicest looking trophies on the tour partnered by um by max purcell should say in the in the doubles who's a Grand Slam doubles champion, isn't he? So um, scored himself a good partner there. Beat Casper Rude twice in one day. Beat him in the singles final in the doubles semi final, which sounds bad for Casper Rude, but actually this was a this was a pretty massive week for him. Actually, I read that he got more. He's already got more hard court victories this year now than he had in the entirety of of twenty twenty three. I still don't really know what to think about what the year might have in store for Casper Ruud. 
Um, but the, I, yeah, last year was so weird, wasn't it? One French Open final and pretty much nothing else. Um, and, you know, the year before that, he was a match away from being world number one. Um, but I, I think I think this was a good week for him. Yes, I agree. I, th- I thought that was a um, a good win in the in the semi final over Sitsipas, and I guess I guess my expectation of Rude is 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 somewhere between his last two seasons. Like I don't I don't think he's going to be a match away from world number one again, but I really don't think he's going to be you know bombing out of tournaments and and really struggling to win matches. And I think he will always be a threat. At, at the French Open, like I don't know whether he's going to reach the final again, but if he's in the right bit of the draw, as he as he has been for a couple of years, he's he's a surer bet there than a lot of players that we might have thought so in the past. Like I don't know, Runa or Sitsipas. You know, I think I would back Rude above both of those at the moment at the French Open. Um, so I, I I sort of expect him to finish the year, I guess, around ten in the world, something like that. Um, maybe knocking on the door of of qualifying for Turin, um, but yeah, the signs have been have been a little bit better this this season so far. Uh, the ATP this week is in Acapulco, where Zverev is playing again. He lost uh, to Jordan Thompson in the semi-finals, and Runa as well. They're the top two seeds. The ATP is also in Dubai, which is what's on my telly at the moment. Andy Murray is in, embroiled in a match that I'm sure will be going on for the next three hours with Denis Shapovalov. <laughs> um, defending champion there is Daniel Medvedev and it's his um, long-awaited return to the tour after Australia. He took a long break after that and he's he's added Gilles Simon to his coaching setup. So uh, we'll be watching that very closely and the ATP is also in Santiago this week where Sebastian Baez tries to continue his run and Nicholas Jarry is in action as well. Uh, You mentioned Holger Rune, Matt. He features in our news section this week. Two items in this section of the show. Both, uh, Both news items that I read via Twitter and I checked the dates thoroughly on both tweets. One was the announcement that Holger Rune is working with Patrick Moratoglu again. And the other is the announcement that Ivo Karlovic has retired. Um, yeah, I thought we were over retirement announcements from, from players born in the 70s. But um, here we are. <laughs> he is 44 years old, David. Uh, and what a, what a career. Um but I did think it was a career that ended about half a decade ago, I have to say. Yes, I, I think he kind of also thought it was over several years ago. And I think it just got sufficiently pointed out to him a number of times by people that he'd never actually announced his retirement. <laughs> and so is he going to make a comeback? And, uh, you know, he just sort of who basically just decided that, not to play. Who were these people that were sitting at home wondering if Ivo Karlovic was poised to make a comeback? I don't know. <laughs> there's a, there's a, I mean, I, I do think, I, I always remember Thomas Muster never made an official retirement announcement um, back in the day. And, and I think maybe even John McEnroe as well. There's, there's a few over the over the years. Uh, maybe John McEnroe is going to make a comeback. No, um, but, but, I, but I think that people like 
finality. Journalists, fans, they like and associations. You want to be able to, you know, pay tribute to the player in some way. And if they don't retire, if they don't actually call the end of their career, how can you do it? So maybe maybe a few people were just wanting to to do that. But but uh, but it was it was amusing to me. Uh, and he signed his tweet, uh, Doctor Evo which is the old name that people used to give him um, back in the day. But, I mean, look, I, I I remember I first he first came to my attention, give you an idea of how old he is, my first year on tour, 1998, uh, in the UMAG tournament, which is where I met my wife uh, that year as well. And I also met Ivo Karlovic. <laughs> and, uh, and he was... <laughs> What did you <laughs> And he was the first player. Two life-altering I'd, events for David. I'd never seen <laughs> a player that tall. I mean, you know, and and the, the, it was creating a lot of a lot of conversation. So I, of course, arranged a photo shoot with him and what was the guy's name? Yourself, David Law. One no, Juan Antonio Marine. I took. I did a photo shoot with these two players, and uh, obviously you've got. Ivo Karlovic, who's six foot eleven, I think he is, or ten, um, and uh, one Antonia Marine, lovely chap, um, not <laughs> the same sort of height whatsoever. Uh, in fact, sure was he was he one meter, one meter seventy five, uh, and 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 that's a good sort of thirty five oh, centimeters short. Smaller than me. Not, I thought you were going to say five sort foot of... nine. Okay. I see what you've done he there, was David. Never five foot you've, nine. You've he done was a kind ne- of never. Danny DeVito, Arnold Schwarzenegger type thing. Yeah. <laughs> I did it before Diego Schwartzman was either even a thing, um, <laughs> and uh, and and anyway. So, but but I mean, honestly. The, the the problem was Karlovic was rubbish. I mean, he couldn't win <laughs> matches on tour. He couldn't win matches on tour. Never thought he would become a player of, of any significance whatsoever. And then five years later, I mean, he worked incredibly hard on his game. And he was, no, yeah, five years later, he's the first round opponent of Leighton Hewitt, the defending Wimbledon champion. He beat him in the first round. And that was probably the biggest Wimbledon shock we'd ever seen. Um, and he ended up having a really good career, Karlovic. He was a lot of trouble for a lot of players. And, uh, yeah, quite quite a, an interesting character who who I, I sometimes, I often think social media for some players does them a disservice. They end up becoming less of a, uh, of a personality by being on social media. He was the opposite. He, he's a player who suffered badly with a stammer when he was young and was unable to do on-court interviews and so forth. Um, I remember a couple of times he came over and he said, do you mind if I don't do the on-court interview and, and stuff like that? And and yet on Twitter, he was really funny and, uh, and, and able to just get his personality across in that way. We quite often talk, don't we, about, you know, we sort of name a player and say, what would we do if if they retired and quite often the answer is sort of oh just two or three minutes at the end of the podcast but actually I, I, I sort of feel like we're going quite deep here on Ivo Karlovic because I feel like I have stuff to say as well um <laughs> <laughs> like it blew my mind that he won the title on clay like it, it, in fact he won titles on on three different surfaces eight altogether and I just think I just think that shows just how good his serve was like mm. to me He's the best server I've seen because the rest of his game was not all that much. I mean, you know, he had a nice slice backhand and he could occasionally flatten out his forehand and sort of rip it. But basically, you know, he, he had he had nowhere near the ground strokes that John Isner had, for example, or or that Riley Apelka has. But 
his serve was phenomenal. I, I, I and I do think in terms of measurements like most likely to hit an ace with your serve or you know hold percentage. I think Ivo Karlovic is right at the top of those stats, and it was always it was always sort of quite sad and amusing to me. I remember reading an article on the ATP website once about the fact that he just couldn't get practice partners. You know, he would he would write his name down on the list, and <laughs> and then he'd come back the next day, and no one had signed up to be next to him because <laughs> they didn't want to practice with him. Um, but you know that serve was such a weapon. He got wins over Federer and Djokovic, and I think um, I think he's one of the oldest ATP champions ever. Like it was a game that that aged well because of how you know I think he he learned to understand his own game. He got better as well as David said, and also you know he can probably still serve extremely well. I think he will always sort of have that have that shot um it was sort of an economical game that he could keep playing later later in his career so yeah he was he was not a fun player to play against but I I always actually found him quite a quite a fun sort of presence on the tour it was always just interesting when Karlovic was playing how can how can the opponent figure him out and for anyone thinking well he's he's seven feet tall of course he's got a good serve um how much credit do you de- deserve for that seven feet tall i I would have thought the same as, until I saw David play <laughs> honestly I, how good was I the other day matt and, and no and serving though was there you you were good you were no. both really good um I was very <laughs> impressed but it is it, it in fact it's even murkier a mystery to me. Uh, your serve, David, after seeing you throw last week. I know. David yeah, throwing well, was, the ball. Was, was, da- David has an arm on him, folks. Mm. I was practicing um, my serve yesterday with my kids who are, you know, 12 and 14, right? And and I, and I, and it went through my head. Catherine says I've got a good arm when I was hitting my serve. <laughs> oh, I was thinking David, I David should be able to do David was Ben Shelton throwing the ball for Billy Jean. <laughs> So I'm thinking I should be able to do this. Honestly, my kids are returning my serve as if it's nothing. <laughs> and and I don't know what's what's the problem. Well, Andy Roddick is now a freelance serve consultant, isn't he? So <laughs> Yes. Andy, if you're listening, he's got his own you have to be American. he's not listening. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Do you know, I don't um, think nationality is the key element there. I haven't got in touch. We don't know. Guys, we need to cover the weirdest. uh, I mean, is it? I mean, what even is it? I can't find the words. Holger Runa and Patrick Moratoglu are back together. The, the, the toxic relationship that just won't go away. Um, What do we have to say about this? folks well it was a surprise i suppose <laughs> um but then there's a lot that holger runa does that is a surprise to me uh you know i mean uh, he's gone through in the space of i mean he's already had patrick moritoglu apparently as his coach twice before and what is he how old is he 20 <laughs> mm. and now he's got him as his coach again he's also had boris becker and severin luti as his coach in the in the interim I mean, it's a very strange run of coaching appointments generally. Um, what do I have to say about it? Look, he had good results when Patrick Moritoglu was around, so I, I, and that appears to be his thinking on the subject. From a Moritoglu perspective, though, I 
I did hear that news and see his tweet reaction to it and think, shouldn't you just be pulling your neck in a little bit at the moment, given that the player that you were supposed to be coaching is going through a four-year ban, uh, which he's appealing to Cass at the moment. And rather than putting yourself up in lights yet again as as coaching the next big thing um and you know tweeting about it in reference to how somebody's written such a good way of of highlighting how they're going to work together and i'm thinking yeah but the article you're promoting is on your own website so it's not like some independent journalist has thought, oh, I'm going to write about what a good idea this is. No, no, it's on your website, Patrick. Um, so forgive me if I don't take that that, that seriously. Um, and I just I just think generally, you know, the, the, the point has been made in the last week by Andy Roddick, actually, and, and Kim Kleist is in conversation on his show that, that really maybe it is time for players that test positive to, to also have their coaches and their teams under the spotlight and maybe not allowed to just keep coaching and everybody else as as if that had never happened. And, um, and, and there are no rules to that effect. Patrick can carry on doing exactly what he likes. Anybody he wants can hire him. And it appears that it makes no difference at all. But I'd be embarrassed personally if, uh, if I was uh, in that situation and I probably would not want to be out in the spotlight again until that was resolved satisfactorily. There was a very uh, odd sequence of events on Twitter. Um, that's a that's a reusable uh, phrase um, where Holgerina made his um, announcement for getting back together with Moratogli. Someone replied something about pertaining to the relationship with Semena Halep and what she's what she's going through now saying you know be care be careful what supplements you take or what you put in your body or something and runa's reply whether this was from him or his mum but we know at times in the past his mum has run his social media don't know whether that's happening now uh the reply was uh my mum's in charge of everything i put in my body so uh no no issues there um i just thought oh my god <laughs> There's so many things wrong with this situation. I don't know. I don't know where to begin. Um, yeah, it's just. I mean, it just seems like utter chaos, Camperina. Even if this turns out to be a productive relationship, whatever you think about it, it's just. It all speaks of chaos. Um, and you know, I just uh, even removing the Moratoglu of it all. Um, Runa saying, my mom is in charge of what I put in my body. Like, okay, he's a young man, but he is a man. And, um, you know, I've been talking a lot this year about, um, you know, the players. That see, I don't think it's an accident that players are, that are seeing success and happiness are players that are sort of taking responsibility for themselves um, and their actions. And yes, calling on people and having teams and and not being an island it's impossible to be in this sport but being in charge of those teams and realizing that that they're at the helm of all this they're at the helm of their own careers and they are responsible for themselves um and that is absolutely not what Holger Runa is giving in any meaningful way um at the moment and I just I worry about that 
Um, so we will see. <laughs> we will see how this one pans out. And uh, that is your lot, I think, for this week on the Tennis Podcast, except to tell you about Delilah. Hey there, Delilah. I'm sure you've heard that one before. Delilah is owned by Carolyn. Carolyn says, my wife and I adopted Delilah and her brother Jug in late 2019. She likes watching most sport. I should say Delilah's a cat. She's, I feel like I should know the name of this type of cat. She's that sort of minky coloured with light blue eyes. She's absolutely stunning. Uh, she likes watching most sports on TV and doesn't seem to favour any tennis players yet. Um, Delilah and Jug is an interesting uh, name combo, isn't it? Um, how did you choose between your cats, Carolyn, as to who would be um, who would be the chosen one for mascotdom? Uh, who knows? But anyway, Delilah is absolutely gorgeous and she has that totally... Is that not a Siamese cat? Is it a Siamese? I was going to say that, but then I questioned myself and thought, I don't know. I've just it, I've just it, Googled one and it looks very similar. Yeah. Carolyn, please let us know. Um gosh, she's absolutely gorgeous, is uh, is Delilah. She she's got that totally indignant F U expression on her face, which is my <laughs> favourite thing about cats. Uh we have our mascots. I have the dearly departed Darwin, who I failed to score points for yet again, but um I will continue uh, to try and honour Darwin's memory. I'm sure I'll pull it off at some point. Uh, David has Francis and Matt has Haida and Soma. Uh, the extremely stinky Billie Jean has Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. She rolled in something absolutely abhorrent earlier. It's it's ter- It was a terrible, <laughs> terrible situation. Uh, we have our top folks and executive producers, Greg, Chris, Jamie and Jeff. And Matt, we have shout outs. We start with Paula Ann Czech, who is in Arlington, Virginia. Arlington. Oh, hi, Paula. Oh, I was going to say Arlington, Texas. No, Virginia. Okay. Which is where I've been. I've been to Arlington Cemetery. It's one of the. You've been to Arlington, big... Virginia? Yes. It's one of the big national. Cemeteries. I think it's now like JFK. That that, it, it rings a bell from the West Wing, which means it will probably yes. ring a bell for David as well. Yes, as I work my way through into into season seven now, just started. Um, am I allowed to have Polar Badossa? Yes, a... same spelling. Okay. Oh, same fantastic! Great. Thank you, Polar. Thank you. Paula. Hang on, Paula. We... <laughs> Thank you, Paula slash Paula. Thank you very much. <laughs> We've also got David Moreno. We know David. He, we know David. He is Spanish German living in Brussels. Hey. And From the church of David. How's you serve, and, David? <laughs> he he says that he saved money for ten years in order to make a dream come true which was to fly to Melbourne and attend the Australian Open. And he picked 2017. He had tickets for every single day, except the semis, oh. which he which he watched in Garden Square. And he says his highlights of the trip were attending the Federer-Nadal final, but also having a pick taken with 
David Law. Wow, oh. what a tournament. Cheers, David and David. <laughs> I remember uh, it well, yeah. Absolutely love that, David. Thank you. And finally, we have Donna Parker. All right, Donna. Hello, Donna. Like, like Donna Vekic. And, and, you know, it is perfect because uh, Donna is from Maryland, which is where Pam Shriver oh, is from. Donna Vekic it's all coach. coming together. Baltimore, yeah. Maryland. Yeah. Although perfect. Donna's actually from Fulton, Maryland. Okay. Okay. Don't don't know that one. Um, she is a long time, specifics. a long time U.S. Open attendee, but heading to Roland Garros this year. Oh, you're oh. going to love it, Donna! I'm telling mm. you, you are. Best of luck to Donna yeah. in San Diego. Donna and Pam in San Diego this week. Pam's, Pam's being stopped by tennis podcast listeners, sending us photos. <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Donna. Uh, And uh, yeah, thank you to all of our friends of the Tennis Podcast. Hope you're excited about what we've got coming for you, starting with that live show this Thursday. If you'd like to become a friend of the pod, the link to do so is in our show notes. That's your lot for this week. We'll speak to you next Monday. 